Hello and welcome back to this episode of The European Lens with me, Frances Fitzgerald. On today's podcast, we are continuing the conversation on the future of EU defence and security policy with Minister Simon Coveney. Simon Coveney TD is the Minister for Foreign Affairs and the Minister for Defence and the current Deputy Leader of Fine Gael and has served in many ministries in the Irish government. He's also a former member of the European Parliament. Simon, thank you for joining me on this podcast. Where does Ireland currently stand in terms of security and defence policy? Um, Is our current policy or definition of neutrality outdated, do you think? Well, I mean, I think certainly it depends how you define it. And I think different people define neutrality in different ways. But certainly my interpretation of neutrality is that Ireland decides for itself uh, when to get involved in projects and who to get involved with. Uh, in different parts of the world linked to to conflict or conflict prevention. Uh, And of course, we have what's called a triple lock, where before we can send Irish Defence Force personnel uh, to any mission, whether it be peacekeeping or peace intervention, we have to have the support of the Irish Parliament, the Irish government, and we need to be consistent with the UN in terms of, of support. So in that context... I would regard Ireland as a country that believes in proactive neutrality, um, and we are very much committed to the European Union's common security and defence policy. That's been uh, the case since 1999, Uh, and while Ireland very much chooses what it gets involved in and what it doesn't, we are, of course, part of a union that together decides on its approach towards uh, security and, in some cases, defence issues. Good examples of that, I think, are uh, you know UN-mandated uh, EU military missions and operations that are currently underway in different parts of the world. Ireland is involved in quite a number of them. So there's a there's an EU training mission in Mali uh, that Ireland are very much part of, uh, as well as actually a separate UN mission in Mali, which which we're also part of. We're also involved in an EU mission uh, in Bosnia and Herzegovina and uh, in Operation Irene in the Mediterranean as well. So, you know, we may be a country that is seen as neutral, but that doesn't mean that we stay out of debates that are sometimes controversial in relation to security and defence issues. Uh, But I think our focus primarily is on peace intervention, peacekeeping, uh, humanitarian supports and intervention. Uh, And I think that is where we get a strong mandate from our parliament to work with other EU countries in that space. Where I think we draw the line is when or if EU countries are working together on projects that that aren't, if you like, peace-related, then I think we we draw on our neutrality as a clear line in the sand in the context of deciding not to be part of, of certain initiatives. The truth is that many EU member states are also NATO member states uh, and part of our military neutrality means that we are not part of, of any military alliance, uh, NATO in this case. Doesn't mean that we don't work in partnership with NATO. We do sometimes, including actually historically in Afghanistan and elsewhere, uh, along with other EU partners. But I think the, the key thing about neutrality for me is, yes, we want to be involved. Yes, we want to play a role in peacekeeping, peace enforcement, humanitarian interventions in different parts of the world, crisis management. And we need to make sure that we have interoperability with other EU countries who want to work with us on projects like that. But at the same time, we don't tie ourselves 
to military alliances like NATO. Being militarily neutral or non-aligned gives you the freedom to choose what you want to be part of and what you don't want to be part of. Uh, And I think Ireland's record in peacekeeping and humanitarian and crisis intervention is very, very strong. Uh, And I'd like us to do more in that space in the future, not less. Let me take up your definition of neutrality there. And it's quite nuanced, really. But how essentially would you say it differs from, let's call it, EU defence policy and what you heard, for example, the president of the commission speaking about in the State of the Union address recently? You will hear more and more talk of what's called strategic autonomy uh, in the European Union, both economically and militarily. Uh, So in other words, I think there is a concern perhaps that there's too much reliance on the transatlantic relationship in terms of strategic military or economic interventions in different parts of the world. And I think there is a, a view, particularly in France and Germany, that the EU needs to develop its capacity to intervene perhaps without a partner like the United States if and when it it deems it necessary. But in order to do that, there's a need to build capacity within the the EU to have the the heft, if you like, to be able to make interventions like that. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't disagree with that, but I still think that that Ireland's role in that debate is as a country that is non-aligned militarily. It doesn't mean that we're neutral on issues. You know, we are very much pro-democracy. We're pro-international law. Uh, we're very pro the values of the EU, and we're willing to uh, to defend those values and work with other EU partners to do that. I think the key difference here is that because we are not aligned militarily either to NATO or necessarily to a collective approach towards uh, defence within the EU, Ireland has a constitution that requires us to be militarily neutral and non-aligned, and therefore... We decide on what we get involved in uh, on the basis of the the merits of of the case, as opposed to signing up to to an alliance. But, you know, we are not neutral on policy. We're not neutral in relation to what Ireland stands for internationally uh, in the context of uh, being for and against an approach to to global affairs. But we are non-aligned militarily, in other words, We choose for ourselves how and where we get involved uh, in terms of conflict prevention and international humanitarian supports. Do you notice an increasing, if you like, impatience from other member states in relation to the, you know, the boundaries we put around what we do? Uh, Do you think they see us as somewhat less than, you know, full partners when it comes to the potential defence of Europe? I think it depends on the debate we're having. So, you know, Ireland has been a very proactive contributor to the debate around the strategic compass, for example, which is in many ways the roadmap for the the future evolution and development of common and security and defense policy within the EU. Uh, That's not finalized yet, but it is it is very much close to being finalized. If you look at Ireland's contribution, for example, to the new EU peace facility, uh, which is a five billion euro fund to fund EU interventions in different parts of the world um, around humanitarian and peace interventions. Again, we were very proactive as part of that. In fact, Ireland was very much involved with Germany because it was a German presidency at the time in brokering a solution that could bring on board other neutral member states of the EU, i.e. Malta and, and Austria at the time, because we made a distinction between 
that fund funding EU-sponsored interventions to support peace and peacekeeping missions and missions that actually had lethal weapons as part of the sponsorship of, of interventions. And Ireland made it very clear that we were not comfortable with and would not fund projects that involved the supply and funding of lethal weapons to partners in other parts of the world, because it's not a space that we believe we should be involved in. But having said that, uh, we managed to get a compromise agreement whereby that 5 billion euro fund is essentially split into two packages where countries like Ireland that don't want to fund lethal weapons can contribute more to the other side of the fund where there are peace interventions, whether they be training or, or actually you know, EU troops on the ground in order to prevent conflict or to, to respond to uh, to the need for crisis intervention. So, you know, I think it's a good example of, of Ireland having a principled position uh, and reshaping a proposal that has come uh, from European institutions and, and other European countries, but actually being proactive about it rather than trying to block progress. Um, and in many ways, uh, some other countries at least decided to follow Ireland's lead in that, you know, as a way of, you know, breaking an impasse that was that was there for quite a number of months. So so at times, I think we can be very proactive. And certainly my style as a as a foreign minister and as a defense minister is that, you know, I want to be involved in solutions. And I want Ireland as a country to be involved in working in partnership with other EU countries and with the European Commission to make sure that the EU has the capacity to intervene in crisis situations, to save lives, protect lives, prevent conflict. That's certainly a very uh, interesting development and the approach you described that Ireland has taken. It is a very proactive stance, isn't it? Like I think it is. I think that there are some, I think, in the Irish political system that see neutrality as effectively Ireland staying out of everything that's anyway controversial when it comes to, to conflict. And you know, I, I think that we have a moral obligation as a country to be interested and involved and proactive. That doesn't mean that, that we don't make decisions for ourselves and that we don't draw red lines every now and again when we're not comfortable with, uh, with the direction of travel on certain projects. But again, uh, you know, I think this is, this is the beauty of the European Union in many ways. Uh, it recognizes that different member states have different constitutions, have different approaches towards security and defense. That's a limitation sometimes in terms of crisis response and pace of decision making, but it's also a benefit in terms of allowing different countries to, uh, to be able to choose what they get involved in and what they don't get involved in, to allow groups of countries that are comfortable moving together uh, to do that, uh, but also allowing uh, other countries that may have a different perspective towards, uh, towards intervention uh, when it comes to conflict to be able to take a step back if they're not comfortable in that space. So, you know, we are not the United States of Europe. We are a European Union that agrees to pool sovereignty when it's in the interests of member states to do that. And I think that applies to, uh, to common security and defense, just like it applies to, to other areas as well. This debate around strategic autonomy, I think, is an interesting one. Uh, and, you know, I think this this was a debate that really got traction during the Trump presidency in particular, when the United States decided to take a very different foreign policy approach to the European Union, when there was quite a lot of tension between member states on a transatlantic basis within NATO. Um, and I think countries like France and Germany, as I say, in particular, 
felt that the European Union needed to be able to increase its capacity to intervene or make foreign policy decisions or interventions in the absence of US involvement. And that has forced a slightly different debate around a common defense and security thinking within the European Union. It doesn't mean, by the way, that Ireland is in favor of allowing a weakening in the transatlantic relationship. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I would advocate for the opposite. But what it does mean is that there would be a, a rebalancing, if you like, of capacity on both sides of the Atlantic in terms of the interventions that may be needed to prevent conflict or, um, or respond to aggression um, in different parts of the world. I'm very conscious that Ireland participates in that discussion as a small member state that, that spends, in relative terms, a very small amount of, of, our, um, of our national wealth on defence and on military spending. In fact, we're probably the lowest in the European Union. Um, but, but, but I still think that Ireland is, is a voice that people listen to here because we do have this special relationship on both sides of the Atlantic. So again, I think it's a good example of Ireland being a strategic thinker, um, but at the same time not uh, being tied to military alliances. But that certainly doesn't mean that we don't have a perspective uh, that others are interested in. Recently, Ireland signed, uh, along with 13 other EU countries, a proposal for a 5,000-strong rapid military response force uh, that could intervene in international crisis. Now, this is going to be discussed, I understand, at an upcoming council meeting. Why did Ireland sign such a proposal? Uh, given our policy of neutrality, does it fit? Oh, I think so. Because, I mean, we have a policy of neutrality, but we also have a policy of proactivity. So I want the European Union to be able to, to deploy quickly uh, a response to an international crisis, should it happen. I mean, God forbid if there was, a, if there was an earthquake uh, in, uh, you know, in a country in North Africa, which is close to our, uh, to our, which is part of our neighborhood or in the Middle East, um, or if there was a you know, significant explosion or disaster, or if there was a conflict that has broken out that we feel we needed to intervene on quickly. It is important to have the resource available to us to draw down uh, without delay. Um, I mean, that's the thinking behind EU battle groups, which have been in place for many years now, which Ireland agrees to, to train with other countries on to make sure that we have interoperability uh, in terms of equipment, uh, in terms of training, um, so that our troops are safe if we decide to send them somewhere with other EU um, member states uh, contributing to those missions as well. And I see this as a development of that, to have you know, a, a 5,000 strong military presence that's ready to go, that trains together, that's properly resourced and equipped. Uh, that is a very important intervention tool for the European Union to have in terms of response capacity, should they need to deploy quickly. The European Union is a union of, what, what 450 million people. It's, it's the wealthiest part of the world. Um, and in my view, uh, we need to have the capacity to respond and intervene, should that be justified. And we need to have the resource that allows us to do that. Would you be concerned at all, uh, Simon, that there would be occasions where, in fact, the boundary between, if you like, peacekeeping and getting involved in a more perhaps aggressive approach 
uh, within a country that that could arise in this situation? Is that a worry? It's often a criticism that's made uh, about the, our involvement in various uh, EU fora, defence fora. Do you, does that concern you at all? Well, I mean, it's something that I'm certainly aware of. And, uh, and the approach that Ireland has always taken is that we will not be forced into a course of action that we're not comfortable with. So having a resource there that's ready to deploy is a different thing to making the political decision to deploy it. And, and that's where Ireland uh, will, will retain its, uh, its ability to say, no, you know, we're not comfortable with that. Even if there's a majority of EU member states that, that want to do something, um, Ireland and I, you know, I think other countries, particularly like, um, like Austria, like Malta, sometimes Sweden and Finland too, who are also not members of NATO, um, you know, the, the beauty of the European Union is in terms of taking a, a political decision to intervene in another part of the world, um, if, if Ireland and other countries say that they're not comfortable with that, well, then it often doesn't happen. I mean, like I would point to the, to the EU battle groups concept. I mean, we have spent hundreds of millions of euros training, creating interoperability, creating joint training programs and so on. There has never been a deployment of a battle group. And I think they've been around since about 2013. The EU's capacity to make a decision and to get unanimity around a decision to intervene using collective EU resources, uh, I think is quite a high bar in terms of threshold to, to get over before we would deploy. So I don't think there's a fear here that by supporting a 5,000 strong crisis intervention group that's well-trained, well-equipped and ready to go, that doesn't mean that, that, that we use that resource inappropriately. And I think that's the difference here. And sometimes there's a, there's a confusion being the, uh, between the two. Having the resource and making the decision to deploy that resource are two quite different things. We often hear, particularly from the left, increasing criticism about the defence budget going up. Do you worry about that? Or do you see that we are going to have to spend more uh, on defence in Ireland and across the European Union? Well, I do think we have to spend more on defence in Ireland to do a number of things. I mean, first of all, there are new risks that simply didn't exist five or ten years ago. So Ireland has to put in place a significant increased capacity around cybersecurity and how we respond to that. We are doing that, actually, but, but I think there's a lot more to do. Um, if Ireland wants to be at the center of decisions around peacekeeping internationally, well, then we have to invest in our defense forces in terms of training, equipment, numbers, and so on. That involves increased resources. You know, Ireland spends considerably less per head of capita on defense uh, than the vast majority of uh, EU member states and indeed developed nations. Um, and I think we need to recognize that. As a result of that, we have capacity constraints. You know, and a, a good example of that, for example, was in, in Kabul, you know, uh, a number of weeks ago when we were trying to get Irish citizens out of, uh, through Kabul airport at a time when the Taliban had taken over the country um, at a pace that many people weren't expecting. And so there was a crisis to manage. We didn't have the airlift capacity to actually send a team into Kabul airport. You know, I had to uh, reach out politically uh, to my French counterpart who reached out to uh, the French military uh, in order to get a partnership in place that, that, that could get Irish Defence Force personnel and two 
experienced diplomats into Kabul airport who ended up getting out an extra 26 Irish people who probably wouldn't have got through the various challenges uh, to get on planes to, to get out of Kabul in that 48-hour period. But it, it was a good example to me of, you know, most other European countries who were able to fly in or fly out of Kabul. Uh, they had the resources to do that and they had the capacity to do that. We didn't. And do you, do you think we should have been able to do that? Well, I mean, you know, these are the choices that a government has to make. I mean, I think that we have very well-trained defence forces in Ireland uh, and we have well-equipped defence forces for the work they do on peacekeeping missions. I, I think our Naval Service and our Air Corps has seen significant investment over the last number of decades. But we have at the moment a commission on the future of the defence forces that are finalising their work. Uh, they've been given 12 months and they're a group of very experienced people, uh, about 15 of them, uh, to actually assess the future capacity requirement for the Irish Defence Forces in terms of a modern approach towards security and defence for Ireland. Uh, and I think actually when that commission reports in December of this year, it is going to provoke, perhaps for the first time, uh, a, an honest debate uh, in, um, in Ireland about um, defence and, uh, and the kind of considerations that we need to take on board whether that's cybersecurity, whether it's uh, the use of space technology, um, uh, whether it's our naval service, our air corps, uh, or of course, our army. And, you know, I, I suspect uh, it will recommend um, increasing the priority and increasing the resources in certain parts of our, um, of our defense forces in terms of the capacity uh, challenges that are there. Uh, but look, let's wait and see. But I, I think every country within the European Union has got to make a contribution in this space. Uh, and Ireland is no different. Even though we do it as a neutral, non-aligned country, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't have the same moral obligation as other member states to ensure that the EU is a force for good in the world, is a force for stability in the world. And at, that, and at times that means the kind of interventions that we that we have in, in places like the Sahel and Mali at the moment, uh, just like we do with, with UN projects as well, in places like um, the Golan Heights or Southern Lebanon, where we have peacekeeping missions for many years. Um, but you know, my approach as a foreign minister and as a defense minister is in many ways to link the two policies together because the decisions we make on defense, the interventions we make abroad on peacekeeping are very much linked with our priorities from a foreign policy perspective as well. And that's why you know, I would have asked for and supported this linking of the Defence Ministry and the Foreign Ministry in Ireland, uh, because I think the, um, um, uh, the policy synergies are really very strong from an Irish perspective. A final question then, and changing tack, although you have referenced it, it's clear from my work on the committee uh, here in the European Parliament uh, that's looking at foreign interference uh, in democracies and looking at that whole issue of disinformation, that we are now facing new threats such as cybersecurity. And we've seen this with the recent HSE attack in Ireland. But of course, there's also questions around food security, securing of critical infrastructure and so on. We won't face these challenges alone. Do you see scope for greater cooperation at a European level in this regard? I mean, absolutely. And uh, there's already a lot of cooperation in the context of cybersecurity threats, the compromising of information, the protection of data centers, the protection of 
information highways, if you like, in terms of high-speed broadband linkages between countries and so on. Uh, And we know that, unfortunately, we have both state actors and non-state actors that want to use cyber interventions to undermine uh, the functioning of states, uh, to try to uh, undermine uh, elections in terms of, of fairness, you know, and transparency, uh, you know, in a way that that influences elections in a negative way. Um, we know that threat is there, um, and so there is. There's no one country that can that can manage this on their own. Even the superpowers can't do it, and we need EU cooperation to to develop best practice uh, to ensure that we have the best technology in the world uh, in this space uh, to respond to this threat. We know to our cost in Ireland. Uh, what happens when when we get an attack on our state infrastructure, like we saw in terms of the HSE and the Irish Health Service being fundamentally undermined for for nearly two months in terms of a cyber attack, uh, which compromised data and so on. So, you know, we get warnings on this all the time. Um, We do have a cybersecurity strategy in Ireland right now, but we're going to build on it in the coming years and we will use the experience and the know-how and the best practice that's being developed in other countries. In fact, you know, Estonia is one of the, the leaders in Europe in this space. The European Union has a, a center of excellence on cybersecurity talent. We have seconded two Defence Force cybersecurity specialists to that facility to make sure that we're picking up and learning the lessons that we can get from that facility. So I see the European Union working uh, a lot closer in this area, and I think we will see significant increases in resources uh, being deployed in the cybersecurity space to try to defend the way of life that the European Union survives on, you know, which is open democracies, freedom to uh, freedom of the media, freedom to protest, uh, but at the same time, a, a, a rule of law uh, and a respect for diversity and the need to protect minorities. All these things uh, can be undermined by dark forces from other parts of the world, uh, most of them non-state actors, but some of them sponsored by states as well. And we need to make sure that we are as as good, if not better, than any other part of the world uh, in responding to that cybersecurity threat, which I'm glad to say Ireland will not attempt to do on our own. We will work in partnership with other member states in the European Union to be as equipped as we possibly can be to protect people's data and to to protect the the lives that we live on the back of you know of those data flows that if they're interrupted and undermined can be hugely damaging to the function of the state in many ways who would have thought 10 years ago that we would be talking about cybersecurity as core to security and defense but i can tell you today it very much is at the center of it The views of Minister for Defence Simon Coveney there. Over the last two episodes, we've delved deep into the difficult and sometimes emotive issue of Irish and EU defence policy. It's a complex issue indeed, and it can be seen through multiple lenses. We tend to shy away from this conversation and debate, and I often wonder why. We need to have a greater debate and look at the different perspectives. And we must take defence policy seriously. We must look at the meaning of neutrality in an ever-changing world and look at it in greater detail. Ireland is committed to the development of the European Common Security and Defence Policy. 
But that debate is continually developing and shifting with cyber and biosecurity threats on the rise. And we can't tackle these issues alone. It's not just about an EU army. It's about reacting to various security threats to member states and where we need to work together while still respecting our policy. We have an ever evolving situation in Europe and Ireland must play its role. I hope this podcast has given you some interesting ideas on Ireland's security and defence policy and where it might go in the future. Until the next episode of The European Lens, goodbye and take care. Thank you for listening.